Amen. If you have your Bibles and would, turn me to the book of Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. I guess we are, now that Thanksgiving has wrapped up, we're officially in the Christmas season. I hope you guys had a wonderful Thanksgiving and, and uh, enjoyed being together with friends and family. Uh, this is also the time of year that you, you start seeing all the uh, any Hallmark movie fans, any of you guys like genuinely look forward to this? Like I just sit around all day and watch Hallmark movies. I don't, um, but great for you. Uh, but but you know, we start seeing those, you know, the Hallmark movies are coming out. Uh, we'll see some movies about uh, the nativity and, and the stories surrounding Christ and his birth. Uh, there was movies, I think last year, The Star came out about the animals surrounding uh, Bethlehem. And, and you know, if you've ever seen a movie on the, the, the events surrounding the birth of Christ, um, it would probably be best for us sometimes to maybe forget a lot of those scenes that we see. Because what, when, when Hollywood does it, they change the way things look quite a bit. Now, I want to begin this morning and, and kind of as we get into this holiday season uh, with, a, with just, just some clarity a little bit. Now, we're not going into a lot of detail, but, but I want to give you a little bit of a glimpse into what um, society looked like in, in the time of Jesus's birth and, and Mary and Joseph and some of the events surrounding their life. Um, when, when Mary and Joseph are, are, are all this is going on, um, the movies fail to capture the difficulties that, that the people of the time are actually encountering. Um, 6 BC was a lousy time uh, to be uh, alive in, in Judea. Herod the Great had seized the throne of Israel. He'd basically kind of taken it. Uh, he guarded his stolen throne uh, so ruthlessly that, he, that what he would do is any time one of his sons would begin to, to, to um, pose any kind of political threat, he would have that son killed. So he is, he's, I mean, this is, not, this is not a good dude, right? Like Herod the Great was, was not a, a good man at all. Uh, Herod wasn't really Jewish. Uh, he just pretended to be. He eliminated some pork from his diet and called it uh, uh, Judaism. He built a magnificent temple uh, for the God of Israel. It, it's what we, uh, if you're looking, thinking today at what that looks like, much of the Temple Mount is in the, is in the footprint of where Herod the Great built the magnificent temple uh, to the God of Israel an architectural wonder in the day, but he gave the administration of it to one corrupt high priest after another. He taxed the Jews through the temple in keeping with the Old Testament law. Then he used the proceeds of those taxes to break the first commandment, building cities and temples in honor of the emperor and all the, the pantheon of Roman deities. If you were alive in that time and you were rich, you lived very well. If you weren't rich, uh, it was a time of, of not good life for you. you uh, it was a, a time of, of, of horrific oppression. And there was this dark cloud that had settled over, uh, over Israel. And not to mention the fact that there had been 400 years since a prophet of God had come and, began, and, and spoken anything about it. So I want to set the stage a little bit for us this morning before we dive into the text. So Matthew chapter 1, uh, we're going to read one verse in, in, in Matthew 1, and we're going to look uh, quite a bit over in, in the early part of Luke. But Matthew chapter 1, verse uh, 18, beginning in verse 18. And it said, now, on the birth of, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they'd come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. 
And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And, he, and this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your word this morning. We're grateful for the multitude of texts that tell us about your impending birth, how you would come, when you would come, but most importantly, why you would come. That you would come to save your people from their sins, that you would come, that you would be God with us. I'm thankful for those opening lines in the, in the book of John when it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. For what we looked at last week in the book of Titus and, the, and, the, and the, the grace of God appeared to us bringing salvation for all people. And Lord, that's the significance of your birth. It's not to celebrate a birthday, but it is to, to, to signify the, that God being made flesh and dwelling among us bringing salvation to us and the opportunity for, for all people to be saved, wishing that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. Father, the promise of your Holy Spirit that comes and dwells inside of us when we place our faith and trust in you, that, that you are with us and, and, and you go before us and you walk beside us and you, you follow up behind us, Lord. You protect us on all sides. And Lord, we thank you for what your word tells us about you, how you are the great and mighty king, that you are the Lord our God, that you are the son of the living God, that you are the, the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, the mighty God. Lord, that you are all these things. And Lord, I'm thankful that, that, that Lord, that, and I pray that, that these won't be lost on us. That God, I know that, that this becomes a time of year when weekends get packed and, and schedules are crammed and we're trying to hit, be here and be there and do this and do that. And God, the significance of, of, of why we celebrate this uh, can, can often take a back seat to the, the urgent needs that we find ourselves in the urgency of our schedules. And so Lord, I pray today that Lord, you would just help us. Lord, to just pause and to take a deep breath and to just thank you for coming. As that song we sang, you know, thank you for dying, Lord, that we would praise your name through this holiday season. We would make known the great name of the Lord our God. And Father, we give you the praise for all things, for it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. 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 A dark cloud's hanging over Jerusalem, but God's on the move. You know, it's always funny that sometimes when, we, when things feel like they're the darkest, it gives God the opportunity to break through in a big way. And here they've been in 400 years of, of silence. God's prophets haven't been, you know, he, there hasn't been any speaking. Uh, we've seen the rise of the Pharisees and, and, and their adherence to the law. But all of a sudden, God begins to move and he moves in a very surprising way. And, and, and north of Jerusalem, in, a, in this small village, there's this, this young gal named Mary who's helping her family scratch out a living. Mary's family was not one of the wealthy families. In fact, they were one of the ones that were struggling to, to make ends meet. And the Jews in Nazareth didn't have a good reputation. 
And she found herself a Jew in Nazareth and, and they were said to be immoral perhaps by their constant contact with the Gentiles and the depraved habits of a, lead, a, a group of Roman soldiers that were stationed in that city. But you know, it's a little wonder that the manner in which Jesus was born would raise a few eyebrows. You see, in, in Matthew 1.18, the birth of Jesus took place this way when his mother and Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they had come together. That's significant. She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And see, the, the Jews, we got to understand this concept of, of, of betrothal here because the Jews in the first century saw marriage as the joining of two families. And because the stakes were so high, the, 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 these, these, these teens or, or young people were not allowed to, do, to, to marry the person of their own choosing. The families uh, would, would, would arrange the marriages of their sons and daughter. And this would take place somewhere around the age of consent. So for boys, it was 13. For girls, it was age 12. And while the children didn't have a final say in the matter, there were preferences that would be taken into account by the families. And once the decision was made to pursue it, this, this, this marriage, a legal document would be drawn up, which would be read during the marriage ceremony. And so there would be this, the, the vows would be exchanged, there'd be tokens exchanged between the families and the family celebrated. And at the end of this uh, uh, ceremony, the boy and girl would enter into the betrothal period, uh, which would be no less than a month, but typically lasted about a year. And during this betrothal period, in the eyes of the community, they were viewed as a married couple. Now, the only difference is, is that they did not live together and they had not come together, right? So they, they, had, they didn't know each other if we were to borrow some, some, some King James language. And so they, they weren't living together. They hadn't come together. But everything else about them, legally, these two people uh, would be, would be, in, would be uh, married. And, and it served several purposes. One, it gave the husband time to prepare uh, the family home, which was awfully an addition to, the, to his family home. They would build a room and they would have their own space. It gave the woman, uh, the, 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 the wife, time to go through the purification rituals and the stuff according to the Jewish law. And third, the Jews didn't accept, expect that a young girl would, be, so would spend uh, one night in, in the home, in her home, and then the next day be moving in with some dude and, and, be, and, and staying the night with him. And so there was this transition period that was taking place over the course of this betrothal where there was, you know, the courtship was happening and it was under the strict supervision of mom and dad. And, and, and so they were, you know, just making sure that the marriage got off uh, on the right foot. And so there were all these things were taking place during this, this year, uh, uh, up to a year that took place. And though they lived apart, the community still viewed them as marriage. And to end this betrothal actually required a a divorce decree. And so it had to be another legal document uh, stating the divorce. And if either of them engaged in, in sex with someone else, it was considered adultery. And, uh, and the penalty was, was punishable by death by stoning. And so it was a very significant matter. And it was during this betrothal period between the vows being made and Mary going to live with Joseph that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb. We see this in Luke chapter one. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Now notice, Joseph's nowhere around in this. So the angel comes to Mary, explains this to Mary. And, 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 and I'm sure that during this whole period, like, Mary is daydreaming and, and, and wishing like many do in the engagement periods that we have today. 
dreaming of what life is going to be like when her and Joseph are together and they've got, you know, they've got their own space and their own home and, and the kids are going to raise and how she's going to fix the place up and all these different things. And her thoughts, these daydreams are interrupted by this angel coming and, and, and proclaiming to her, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And the greeting kind of confused her. A, a peasant girl, highly favored by God, why? And so the angel continues and he says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And you know, Mary could not miss the significance of the words that, that, that this angel was describing to her for centuries, for, for centuries, literally, literally 400 years they had suffered through this silence uh, that, that God had, had, had put upon his people and Mary learned that she would be the mother of the Messiah. It was, a, it was an honor too wonderful to describe, but the privilege would require immense sacrifice. And Mary said to the angel in Luke 1.34, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And Luke answered her, he said the holy, or the, 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 the angel answered her in Luke chapter, verse 30, one, chapter one, verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to, the child to be born will be, called the, will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And her response is immediate. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to to your word. And that word for servant was used to describe a bond servant. And it was someone who voluntarily uh, allows himself into slavery. In other words, Mary was saying, I willingly commit myself to the unconditional service of my Lord. And so she's willingly taking on this. And can you imagine the difficulty facing Mary and Joseph? Can you imagine how insane Mary must have sounded when she goes to Joseph and tries to explain to her the encounter that she had with the angel and how ironic it was that Mary would be the bearer of the most wonderful secret in the world, in the history of the world, yet suffer the consequences of a sinner. I hadn't thought about that until I read it, that Mary would be the bearer of the most wonderful secret in the history of the world, yet suffer the consequences of a sinner. You see, Joseph wouldn't, wouldn't get his angelic visit until later. At this time, all he knew was that Mary was pregnant and she'd gone off to Elizabeth's house. And you know, the reputation of, of, of those, those Jews in, in Nazareth wasn't good. And so she, he's thinking to himself, well, if she's pregnant, she's been with someone else. And she returns three months later, she's beginning to show when she's obviously pregnant. And according to Jewish law, he had every right to divorce her which would lead to the community, st community stoning her. And he, he was too honorable for that. And so in Matthew chapter one, we read in her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Having every reason to believe she had been unfaithful, he still planned to deal with her mercifully. It would allow him to move on with his life. It would allow her to remain with her family who could help take care of Mary and the child. But then Joseph has this angel angelic encounter of his own. 
He's considering these things and the angel Lord appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And this is one of my favorite verses in, in, of all the nativity verses and, and, and the Advent ones. It, it is, uh, he says, for she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And this visit, this visit is appreciated by Joseph. The baby wasn't somebody else's. It was the literal son of God. This child would be this long awaited Messiah. And, it, and, 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 and the angel confirmed Mary's innocence, which would have brought great relief to the heartbroken groom. And as the visit, and, and the visit provided this peace needed for Joseph to move ahead with the marriage, he knew the difficulty that lied ahead. At best, his life with Mary and her child in this small town of Nazareth was gonna be messy. The great blessing given to Mary also carried with it many complications. And you know, knowing what we know, it's no wonder that God selected Joseph to be the earthly father of this heavenly son. That Joseph understood the risk, that he counted the cost, and that he set aside his own rights and willingly accepted Mary's difficulties as his own. You know, theologians call the birth of Jesus, the incarnation. The word's taken from a Latin word literally meaning to enter into or become flesh. It's used to describe this idea of, of Christ becoming, uh, of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. Paul later described the incarnation of Jesus and used this act of grace to challenge his readers. He says in Philippians chapter two, verses five through eight, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. A couple weeks ago, we looked excuse me, at the bold claim that Jesus made that he was the son of God. And last week, we talked in, in, about in Titus chapter two when when Paul writes to Titus, he says, and the grace of God has appeared to us, bringing salvation for all people. You put all these things, you begin to put these things together and, and we cannot stop and think about the implications of what all this means. I, I want you just for a moment to put yourself in, 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 in the shoes of the Almighty, in God's shoes. Think about this. You need nothing, right? You are the supreme power. You're beyond needing food and water. You don't feel pain. You can't suffer death. You exist in a, in a realm that is far beyond our three dimensions and the confines of time. You literally spoke the, the, the universe into creation, establishing in the, it, while doing so the perfect habitat for, for life to thrive. You fashion people to reflect your, your image, to be image bearers of yours. God says, I will let us create man in our own image. Then breathe life into them only to see them rebel and mess up this world that you had created. And for reasons we can't explain, the creator loves his people so that he made so much and he devises a plan to save them from this mess, this mess that they, that they created themselves. And that plan called for the creator 
to become human. And the person of the Son, God Almighty, voluntarily exits this life in eternity to come to this earth, to step down into time and become a helpless human being, to suffer the pains we suffer, to endure the same heartaches and disappointments, the struggles and temptations that afflict us, to hear the same injustice there, to, to, to hear the same injustice and to subject himself to the consequences of sin. Joseph's willingness to, to, to share Mary's circumstances is a beautiful illustration of the humility and sacrifice of the incarnation. Joseph being a religious man who wanted little more than to enjoy an uncomplicated existence with the woman he loved, but as is often the case, and if you leave here this morning thinking one thing, it's, it should be this, that obedience to God requires sacrifice. Obedience to God, we see it in the incarnation itself, Christ exiting eternity, taking on, you know, humbling himself, taking on flesh, walking among us. You would see it in Joseph. Here's a man who, by, for, in every right, had, had, could, could have just divorced Mary and moved on. But as we mentioned earlier, he counted the cost. He understood the risks. He accepted them. And he moved on living in obedience, obedience to God. And here's the thing. Obedience to God requires sacrifice. Joseph is willing to set aside his own desires and share the burden with Mary. That, that obedience that, that Joseph had, you know, was asked to, to, to this action that Joseph was asked to obey resulted in him taking on, setting aside his own desires and, and, and sharing her burden. And God calls you and I to do the same. Nothing at all has changed. That, that obedience to God requires sacrifices. And oftentimes for us, that sacrifice is to lay aside our own desires and to share a burden that Christ has laid on our, on our hearts and what that looks like. And the thing is, that looks differently for all of us. What that burden is or what that, what that, that act of obedience looks like. But to, but to follow God requires sacrifice. To obey God requires sacrifice. We see it exemplified in the life of Christ. We see it today in this life of, of, of Joseph and him being willing to take on, take on uh, Mary. In some way or another, each life, every person's life is a stage on which the drama of Nazareth plays out. We justly and unjustly suffer the consequences of a world given over to sin. It often treats us unfairly and we often respond, we often respond in, in, in an unjust way or, 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 or committing, by committing our own just, unjust deeds, adding to the sin in the world. Then collectively and individually, we all suffer the consequences of unwise and immoral choices. And this is our mess. Are those moments when God calls us to obedience and we in our wisdom, quote unquote, choose to go our own way. And it's so easy for us to see that in the lives of our children, isn't it? Just this morning, 
we have <laughs> asked Eric to go to the go to the bathroom and brush his teeth, and he some somewhere at my mom's or on the transition home misplaced his toothpaste, and he had to use mint toothpaste. And man, you'd have thought we poked him in the mouth with a hot iron or something because he oh it's so hot, Dad. And it's little things like that, and we tell our kids, look, there are consequences often unseen consequences to the choices and the decisions that you and I make. We see, again, we see it in our kids. And we try to tell them that, listen, you chose poorly and now there's the consequences. Or you didn't do what you were asked to do and there's consequences. But as we age, we fail to see that in our own lives. We fail to see the, that the choices we make, and, and they may be, we may think they're completely innocent choices, we may think there are things that have no implications on the remainder of our life, but how little we know that a small decision can have a snowball effect into other decisions that we make later on in life. And oftentimes, if we'll stop and we'll pray about those things, what we see is we see God wanting to stem that snowball effect when, when so, at some point when we're surrendered to him, that we, that we say, you know what, Lord, I want you to make these decisions. I want you to tell me what I need to do. And Lord, I'm going to obey even if it requires sacrifice. I'm going to obey even if it requires me to set aside my rights and carry, carry the burden myself. And we see that, in, that we see that exemplified again in the life of Christ and in the, in the life of Joseph, a willingness to lay aside every right that he had to take on, to take on this, this, it was a blessing. But he didn't know that at the time. And yet we see how God was faithful. And it's, again, it's no different today. That when we follow in obedience, that God is faithful. And I'll say this just in closing this morning. Just a simple question. Where is God calling you to be obedient? Where is God calling you to put your faith into practice? For some of us, it, it, may, it may be practicing that faith for the first time and saying, you know what? I believe what the scriptures say, that Christ, you are the Messiah and that you died for my sins. And I don't understand it all, but I know that I need to, I know I need to make this decision to follow you, to surrender my life to you and to make you the Lord of my life. Like, I know I need to make that decision. And some of us, man, you know, we're just putting that off for some reason. And that's the obedience that God is calling us to. For others of us, we've, we've accepted Christ as our savior, but we haven't yet made that transition to him being our Lord. And those are mutually inclusive. You cannot have one without the other. And so for us, that act of obedience is, okay, Lord, I've surrendered my life to you. Now, what's that look like for me? What's that look like in my life? For others, and we've mentioned this before, we talk about this idea of obedience. And for some of you this morning, one thing pops into your head. That we know exactly what that one thing is. We know exactly the right thing to do. We know exactly the thing that God has been calling us to. And maybe God's been calling you to this thing for years. 
Maybe it's been a week. But we know exactly what God is calling us to. And so we need to respond. We need to obey. Why? All because of the implications of, the, of Christmas. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared to you and I. Has appeared to us bringing salvation to all people. And I don't want us to be a group of people that are, the best way I can put it is like the ocean. You go to the ocean and there's that dirty foam that tends to come up on the, on the beaches, right? And some of us are so content to frolic in the foam. Like it's the greatest thing. Like there's not, and we're, and we're, just, we're just looking right here. And we're just like, oh, it's salt water, it's foamy, it's dirty and it's disgusting. But like we're, we're happy to just frolic in it. But how amazing is it when you can, if you'll just lift your eyes and look out on that water and it is water as far as the eye can see. And to be there either on a sunrise or a sunset and watch the colors explode and, we're, and, and we see the beauty of the ocean and, and all its splendor. And I don't want us to be a people that are just frolicking in the foam you know, barely getting our feet wet when there's, an whole, when there's a whole ocean of experience that God wants us to know. And not just, not just to have a knowledge of. We talked about this a couple of weeks. Not just have a knowledge of, but for, this, for the thoughts to develop a theology in our hearts. That it's not just what we know, it's what we've experienced and how that, and how that, that how, life and faith begin to collide, how what we read in, in the scriptures and, and how we live life begin to come together and form this beautiful picture of the church being the church and, and us living out the implications of the gospel. And the joy in that is the obedience and then the blessing that God provides for us the blessing that we receive because of that obedience to just, to just do what God's calling us to do. And the joy we get of being able to look around this morning to each person and each family and see them doing what God has called them to do and we're doing what God has called us to do. And all of a sudden this body of believers, though different in, in demeanors and personalities and giftedness, are being formed together into one body, working together for the sake of the gospel. And church, that's a beautiful thing. And so as we stand this morning and we pray.